0: Good morning, church family. Praise the Lord. It is wonderful to be in the house of the Lord. Jesse, worship team, thank you so much. Bob, thank you. It is so encouraging to hear you sing. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of His people, and that by means of the Spirit, God is with us. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we're, we're continuing our study of Philippians and continuing our brief mini-series within Philippians on church unity This morning we're addressing the question of what is church unity, the what of church unity. Last week we dealt with the why, why should we be unified, next week we'll deal with the how, how do we become unified as a church, and this week we'll deal with the what, we're going to define what church unity is. Go ahead and open up with me to Philippians 2. And if you're saying to yourself, well pastor, my goodness, you've been talking about this a lot. I would agree with you. Yes, I would agree with you. And here at CBC, the reason why we're talking about this so much is because Paul has been talking about it. We practice something called expository preaching. We try to go verse by verse, thought by thought, word by word, unpacking what it is that God has said. We believe that the most important thing for you to hear is God's word. And what's driving this is that theology. And I hope and pray that this, this notion of church unity can stay fresh, even though we're, exi- we're visiting it this week, last week, and next week. So start with me in verse one, I'll read through verse two. Philippians two, one through two. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord And of one mind. The part of this passage that we'll be tackling occurs after the by in verse 2. Being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. That's the passage. And the big idea is this church unity is a unity of the local churches, spirit, heart, and mind. Church unity, stated a bit differently, church unity is the unity of spirit, of heart, and of mind in the local church. Church unity consists of three things, and these three things are going to be my points. So my first point is a unity of spirit. What is church unity? Church unity is a unity of the local church's spirit. That's our first point this morning. And where I get this notion of unity of spirit is found in verse two, towards the end. Paul says this. Paul says, being of full accord. Being of full accord. Now, I want you to notice that church unity is a commandment. These are commandments here. This notion of church unity is a matter of obedience. We have to pursue this as a church. And the first commandment The first idea of church unity that Paul gives is that we are in full accord. Now, if you do not have an ESV this morning, if you have a NIV, yours will say, your translation will say, being one in spirit. Another translation says united in spirit. And the King James says being of one accord. And the ESV, I think, does well here, being of full accord. And the the reason why there's differences of translation is because... The word, the Greek word behind the English translation here, is a bit hard to understand. Paul only uses this word one time. And whenever you study the New Testament and you find that a word that is only used once, it's difficult to understand. The more often a word is used, the easier it is to understand because we have lots of examples to understand it with. And this term is not easy to understand, but all of these passages are getting at the same idea, And the idea is that we as a church, the Philippians, are united in a spirit, a common spirit. Now this notion of spirit is kind of abstract, isn't it? It's easier to talk about chairs and seats and pews and people rather than spirit. Spirit is an abstract concept. But we all feel this notion of a spirit, a church's spirit. We feel the notion of of a church's culture or ethos. And that's what I think Paul is describing here is that Paul wants the Philippians and us to be united in the culture here, the ethos, the feel. Let's say you're in a room with two people who you love very much and they begin to get into an argument. And as the argument becomes more and more heated, you begin to feel more and more uncomfortable. It's a feeling, it's an ethos, it's a culture in a room. That's what Paul's talking about here, this spirit that guides and governs the church. And what Paul is saying is that we should be unified in this culture that we have here at CBC. That there is this corporate identity that we have at CBC. That if you go people, ask people outside of CBC, they'll say, yeah, CBC is like this, or CBC is like that. That's the idea. And what Paul wants the outsiders to say about us is that, oh, yeah, CBC, they're really unified. They have this unified culture. Now, unfortunately, many people, many people, maybe I shouldn't say many, some people, both longtime attenders here and new people, have told me that the Spirit is or the culture here at CBC is a bit unwelcoming. It's a bit unwelcoming. And I take their word for it. I personally have not experienced this because you have, been, you have all been so welcoming of me. But I do take their word for it that they experience some disunity, some, an unwelcome spirit. And when we are unwelcoming, when we are cliquish, when we have friends who we talk to and other people who we don't, What that leads to is disunity. You have pockets of unity in these groups or in these people, but they're silos. They're separated from each other. And I think if Paul were writing to us, he would say that this corporate spirit that we have, this culture, is not one of unity. That rather than welcoming all peoples, regardless of race, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of their personality, rather than welcoming them, there's preferential treatment. Well, I'll be friends with this person or I'll associate with this person. And whenever lots of people do that, it leads to a feel or a culture or an ethos or a spirit that a church has. And what Paul is trying to tackle in our church is that idea, that spirit of unwelcomeness or clickishness. And that's the opposite of unity. Unity is to say all are welcome to hear the message of Jesus Christ. All peoples matter. We want all people to be welcomed here. And the way we can do this, church body, the way we can do this, the way we can execute on building this notion of a unified spirit, a unified culture, a culture that welcomes others, is by bringing those outside in. And this occurs through hospitality. Opening up our homes, using our homes as a means of of blessing others. Now, hospitality can be very difficult. It's very easy to keep a hands-off approach towards fellowship. But to address this problem that we have here, this unwelcoming spirit... We need to open up our hearts and our homes to say, Come, fellowship with me. Come to my home. Or let's go out to eat. Let's fellowship together. Let's meet outside the walls of this church. We need this here. We need this at CBC. We need to have a unified spirit. We need to have a unified culture. We need to have a unified ethos. And it starts with certain persons, certain members, opening up their home and welcoming others with outsiders and insiders. That's my first point for you this morning, a unity of spirit. Second point is unity of heart, unity of spirit and unity of heart. Going back to verse two, right in the middle, having the same love, you see that? Complete my joy by dot, 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 having the same love. As a church, corporate entity, Paul's talking, he's using these commandments in the plural form, so he's addressing all of us. In this notion of a corporate identity, we are supposed to love the same things. We are supposed to have joy, have our affections set on certain things, the same things, have a love and pursuit of the same ideals and principles. That we share together in the same love. That if you scratch us very deep in our hearts, we bleed the same blood because we love the same things. And ultimately, dear dear family, we love Jesus Christ. As the deer panteth for the water, O my soul longs for thee. Nothing satisfies like the forgiveness of sins. Nothing brings about a joy and an inner peace knowing that we are kept in grace and that Jesus Christ, His life, His death, and His resurrection for us, that that's enough and that we are accepted by the Father because of Jesus Christ. Oh, dear family, we love that. We love that. We love to talk about that. We love to fellowship in that. We love that. That makes us happy and makes us joyful to hear of Christ and His sufficiency for us. And we also love people. We also love people, one another. And dear friends, we don't just tolerate people. To have the same love, Paul's not saying we have the same toleration that we tolerate certain people the Christian response to the gospel is to love, the Bible says to even love your enemies and we love others we love those in this church we pour our lives out for one another we seek the best for others we pray for others, we carry their burdens we bear with them We're patient, kind, loving, sympathetic, empathetic towards our brothers and sisters. And also we love to see sinners saved. We have a compassion for the lost, a compassion and a sympathy that drives us to go to the distant lands of this earth and to preach the gospel. We ought to love those things, the same love Paul wants to see us have. But conversely, if you love something, if you love a person, if you love an ideal, if you love a cause fervently, a corollary to that is that you find displeasure when that person or ideal is not held up high. So, for example, my wife. I love my wife dearly. One of the greatest gifts outside of salvation that the Lord has given me is my wife. And I imagine that many of you husbands can say the same thing about yours. And I love my wife so much that I despise that which seeks her harm. I despise it. I don't just not like it, I hate it. If there is a person, if there is a force that seeks to harm my wife, I despise that. I wanna do everything I can to protect that which I love and to foster that love. So the the application for us is that we have the same love, we have the same joy, we have the same affection, church family. We love the same things. And conversely, we find a mutual displeasure in the same things. That we have a corporate aversion and loathing do the same things now the Bible is very specific about what the Christian should oppose the Bible calls us to even love our own enemies our opposition is not against flesh and flesh and blood our opposition our corporate displeasure is found in sin and in the works of the devil sin is what leads to disunity Sin is what leads to a fracturing of the body. Sin is what drove our Lord to the cross and what ultimately will lead people to judgment is sin. And our corporate response, dear church, is not to look the other way. But it's to have a disgust towards sin. It's to have a disgust towards disunity. It is to hate, hatred itself. That is our corporate response. So we love corporately. We have the same joy in the same things. And also we share this mutual displeasure towards sin, towards disunity, towards disobedience. Corporately we share that. We share in the same joys and in the same sorrows. A unity of heart. We have a unity of spirit and a unity of heart. Last point. Write this Unity of mind. Unity of mind. This is the most important point in this passage. And if you've been sleeping, I'll forgive you if you just pay attention right now, okay? Go to verse two. Paul repeats the same verb twice. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. And then go down to the very end. Being in full, excuse me, being in full accord and of one mind. This word mind, excuse me, this word mind occurs Twice. And the reason why it occurs twice in the English translation is because Paul's using the same Greek verb twice. And that verb is franeo. Fronneo. This is a very important verb for this passage and for Philippians as a whole. And it can be a difficult verb to interpret. Look with me in 1 7. 1 7. Paul says this to the Philippians. It is right for me to froneo this way about you all. It is right for me to froneo this way about you all. The verb occurs there. Go to 2.5. Have this froneo among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Once again, that verb occurs. Go to 319. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With minds, with phroneo, set on earthly things. It occurs there again. Now two. I entreat Udia and I entreat Senti to freneo in the Lord. And then lastly go to 410. I rejoice greatly, excuse me, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived, you have freneo for me. You were indeed freneo for me, but you had no opportunity. I want you to see that this verb can be translated a number of different ways. Concern, feel, think, have your mind set on something. It's a dynamic verb. But the way I want us to take it, the, the, the English concept that I think summarizes all of this data is the concept of mindset. Mindset, one word. A mindset is the incorporation of thoughts, of beliefs, there's a, highly, there's a cognitive element to it, but it also involves emotions and feelings and attitudes. So what Paul is saying here is that the church in Philippi, and by consequence us, we are to have a corporate mindset. And this mindset involves doctrine, feelings, attitude, And brothers and sisters, I want you to see that this is a command. There is a command here. The Bible commands us to think a certain way and feel a certain way. This is a command. Now, within this command, I am not advocating groupthink or herd mentality, that we all just kind of go along and just agree about everything. That's not what I'm saying. And Paul's not saying that either. Look in 3.15 to prove this to you. Look in 3.15. Once again, we have the occurrence of this verb, freneo. Let those of us who are mature freneo this way, and if in anything... You freneo otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Now, what Paul is saying here is he's been giving some commandments. And he wants the Philippians to agree with him. He wants them to freneo as he freneos. But look what he says if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Paul does not have a hammer here. He makes a concession, and he says, if you disagree with me, the Lord will show you. So even within the body in Philippi, there's disagreement, and brothers and sisters, there's bound to be disagreement in the body of Christ. And this side of eternity, that's okay. There's gonna be different ways and different perspectives that we all have. And we need to. Groupthink is not a attribute of a healthy church. We do not wanna have that. But then look at verse 16. This is Paul's conclusion. He He says in verse 15 that if someone disagrees with me, the Lord will show it to them. And then in verse 16, only, this is Paul's heart, let us hold true to what we have attained So this notion of what we have attained is what's really important. Paul is is willing to let some of the details go to the wayside. He's okay with some people disagreeing with him. What matters for him is this notion of what we have attained. So there is a a sense that we have to agree, brothers and sisters. We have to agree on certain things. We have to have this corporate mindset. But even within that corporate mindset, There's diversity and there's disagreement. So for example, one example of disagreement that I am content with as you attend here at CBC. If you hold a different view of eschatology that I do, I am content with that. I do believe that you're wrong, but I I allow for the Lord to show you that. And that's okay. We don't all have to agree and see things the same way. And in fact, we shouldn't. I believe that diversity of opinion glorifies God because God himself is three in one. But we do have to agree. And the things that we need to agree on I think are threefold. What the Lord would have for us as a church is he wants to agree he wants us to agree about three things. That first thing is our authority. What is the authority that we have in this church? Is it me? Is it Pastor Jesse? Is it the elders? Is it the congregation? Is it popular opinion? And I would say no to all of these. There is an authority in the church, and it is God's Word. It is the Lord's holy Word. This book is living and breathing. And by means of his spirit, God executes his authority in the church. And by the grace of God, CBC has a long history of faithfulness to that. It's our middle name, Community Bible Church. We all need to agree together that this book, what it is that God says, is always true. And the way we go about finding what is truth and error is through this, not through culture, not through popular opinion, but by what it is that God has said. We have to have unity on that. We have to agree on that. And secondly, we have to agree on a theological vision, a theological vision. We need to have unity of mind over a theological vision. A theological vision is embodied in a church's doctrinal statement. Brothers and sisters, doctrine matters. It matters what we believe about God and salvation and mankind. And we live in an age where doctrine is played down oftentimes. That unity is sought and that truth is pushed down. But as Christians, the Bible says things that people don't like. And as Christians, our faithfulness is to the Lord. And what we try to do as elders is we try to craft a theological vision that accurately reflects what it is that God has said. And we need to move beyond, beyond, from the Bible to theology. We need to move beyond the scriptures to how does this affect my life? What is this really about? Who is God? Who am I? What do I have to do to find peace with God? And we need this vision. We need a vision of God so great and tremendous that it leads people to leave this nation to go to the distant nations and preach His gospel. And we need this corporate vision. We need this theological vision. We need this body of doctrine that we confess together. And dear brothers and sisters, you will find That the more precise and deep we go theologically, the deeper our fellowship is as a church. If we are all in lockstep with one another, the degree of fellowship is much deeper if we have disagreements. The deeper we go, the more precise we are, the stronger we are and the deeper our fellowship and the more effective our witness is. Now there is diversity allowed here and I'm not advocating groupthink but we do need a common body of doctrine, a theological vision that we get on board with and that we all say amen to. So we have a shared authority, we have a shared theological vision and also we have a shared philosophy of ministry. Philosophy of ministry, that's a technical term and it just means a philosophy of ministry is the way you go about executing and implementing a theological vision. So we have the Bible, we read the Bible, and we, we establish a set of doctrine. And we have to get this doctrine down to the, the grassroots level. And the way you do that, the way you bring doctrine down to life is through a philosophy of ministry. There's a way to execute on doctrine and implement doctrine. It's a method, it's a procedure. And to make this concrete, let me... Let me raise this scenario. So we read the Bible, our authority, and the Bible says to take the gospel everywhere. And as Christians, we see that convicted by the spirit and we agree. And theologically, we know that faith comes by hearing. That all people everywhere need to hear the saving message of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Do we go to distant nations and solely focus on humanitarian efforts? On feeding the poor and treating the sick? Is that all that we do? and and it's not. Humanitarian efforts are important, but our calling as a church is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is central. That is what we mainly do. Now, yes, we do incorporate humanitarian need there, and we do meet physical needs, and we have to, and we have to be burdened for the physical needs of people, but what ultimately matters is meeting the spiritual and eternal needs of people. That is our calling as a church. And that is how a philosophy of ministry, that's what it looks like. We have a mission and we have a purpose and there's a specific way we go about doing that. So kind of combining all three things, we have a shared authority, a mindset, a unity of mind entails a shared authority, a shared theological vision, and a shared philosophy of ministry. And as we end, I'd like to end where I began. This question that I ask, the issue that we're addressing is the what of church unity. What is church unity, Pastor? Church unity is us together as a church being unified in spirit, us having a culture that welcomes and loves other people, a culture of hospitality and acceptance, a unity of heart, that we love and detest the same things. We love Christ, we love people, we love evangelism, and also we detest sin and the works of the devil. And then lastly, we have a unity of mind, a shared authority, a shared theology, and a shared philosophy of ministry. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we do pray that by the Spirit you would help us as a church. That you would inculcate in us, that you would engraft in us, that you would produce in us, Father, this notion of unity. That you would give us a unity of spirit, of heart, and of mind. And that, Father, as you do it, Father, we would draw deeper in our love and affection for you. That we would feel this in our hearts, and that our fellowship would be deeper. Our glorifying you would be deeper and our witness would be more effective. Father, blow your spirit upon this place and create in us as a church unity. Pray these things in Jesus' name and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.